So our epistle for this morning comes from Philippians chapter 3, verses 4b through 14. If you like, you can follow along in your bulletin insert or whatever version of the Bible you have with you this morning. This is uh, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And so hear what Paul has to say this morning. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. So as we read that, you might think that Paul is kind of tooting his own horn, that he's bragging on his pedigree, on his resume. We know from Paul's writings that when he was Saul, he was a Hebrew's Hebrew. His pedigree as a Jewish man in his day was impeccable. He was from a good Jewish family. He was a member of the elite tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee. He was a keeper of the law. He was a zealot of Judaism. He was in every respect in his culture, in his time, a model upright citizen. And so if anyone could boast of their human accomplishments, it was Paul. But with all of those accomplishments, once Paul came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, nothing that he had ever done, nothing he would ever do of his own power would measure up to who he was in Christ. His best accomplishment on his best day, Paul counted as loss compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ. So what Paul is saying to us is, all the things I thought were so important, 
in my life are now gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ as my master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is now, in comparison, insignificant. And so he says, I've dumped all of it into the trash so that I could embrace this relationship with Christ and be embraced by him. He says, I, I don't want in my life some inferior kind of righteousness of my own making. I don't want the righteousness offered to me by the world just because I can keep some laws. No, he says, I want a robust, genuine kind of righteousness that comes from trusting Christ. I want not the world's righteousness. I want God's righteousness. The first part of this verse from this passage from Philippians reminds me a whole lot of a resume. Have you ever written a resume? There's elements you put in and you tweak it a little bit depending on what the job is that you're applying for. But you try to stack the deck, if you will, by putting your best face, your best foot in front of the people you're trying to impress. We spend a lot of time building up resumes in this life. And, and we do it for a number of reasons. We, we want our children and our grandchildren to be able to go uh, get the best education they can. And we do that because they'll have more and better opportunities as those looking at their resumes are making hiring decisions based on the schools they attended and what their accomplishments have been thus far in their lives. We place a lot of stock in, in pedigrees in our culture. And while we don't actually have royalty in this country, we have some substitutes that people consider royalty for one reason or another. Now, for example, the Oscars have been obviously in the news a lot lately. I, I don't particularly look up to those folks as role model, models, but a lot of people do consider them to be American royalty, if you will. And so their pedigrees mean something to some people. In certain circles in this country, uh, circles of money and, and power, having the right family name might elevate your status and increase your opportunities. Just look at policy, uh, uh, at politics, if you will. You see family names all in the political uh, arena because, well, my dad was a politician and so I have name recognition and so I'll go into politics and and so forth and people will actually pull a lever or push a button on a voting screen just because they recognize the name and for no other reason it's uh, interesting how that works in our society now in small town texas you you might laugh at the thought of a person's resume or pedigree giving them a reason to boast in this life but then i think about my own high school career and there were those that we tended to elevate to a status, if you will, 
um, the high school quarterback, the head cheerleader, the prom king and queen. These are these are folks who who we elect by popular vote, and and they had some status above the average student or even above the average uh, scholar. If you were the, the kid who excelled in the math club, you weren't nearly as popular as, as the quarterback. Why? Was that skill any less important? No, it just wasn't what was popular. So you, we have to be careful in the world, my point is, you have to be careful in the world what you place uh, as important in someone's resume in someone's pedigree, if you will. So as we look at what Paul was writing in this passage of Scripture, we have to understand that Paul was not devaluing his accomplishments and completely setting aside his Jewish heritage. He wasn't doing that at all, really. He was saying that those things Although important in comparison to my relationship with Christ, they really don't mean a whole lot of anything. And so likewise, I'm not devaluing the accomplishments of the person who walks across the stage and gets an Oscar or or the high school football star or the head cheerleader. I'm not devaluing those in their sense, but. I agree with Paul when he says that those noteworthy accomplishments in the world are nothing compared to knowing Christ personally. It's really a matter of perspective, earthly perspective versus spiritual perspective. I mean, when you think about it, how ridiculous would it be once you go and stand in front of Jesus on that judgment day and say, well, I was quarterback. doesn't mean anything any more than it means that I was I was I was head of the math club doesn't mean anything there either and so we can move through this life with our eyes focused on the things of the world money power material possessions status or we can move through this life with our eyes focused on the things that really matter things that have eternal significance there's a verse from Hebrews chapter 12, three verses actually, that says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, after hearing those words from Hebrews, we have to ask ourselves some really basic questions. We do a lot of question asking in these worship meetings, don't we? Am I putting my full effort into the race that is my daily life? As seekers watch me as I go about my day, 
we should be asking ourselves. Seekers who are watching you and wondering about your faith. Am I setting a Christ-like example that would make them want what I have? Or, when they look at my life, do they just shake their heads and turn away from me and my professed Christianity because they see that I am in fact not running the race with my eyes fixed on Jesus. People can spot a phony a mile away. You can walk through the doors every Sunday, but if your Sunday persona, the face that you put on in front of your church family, doesn't match your actual life out there in the world, those folks can see that. They can sense it. I like to tell the story. When I was in seminary and I was going to the uh, Perkins Extension campus, a lot of times it would be in Jacksonville. Sometimes it would be in Plano. Other times um, it would be in Lufkin. just depended on where the course was meeting at that particular time. I would usually drive up on a Friday afternoon and then I would drive home after class on Saturday evening. And at this particular time in that seminary experience, I was in my third year of my course of study and I had established some routines. And when I roll into Jacksonville or sometimes Plano, depending on which campus we were in, if I was in Jacksonville, I would have dinner every single time I went to class at a little Mexican restaurant that just happened to be up on the hill right off the main street. And as I said, I like to tell this story because it reminds me just how good that little restaurant was up there. One Friday evening, as I sat at my table, I was trying to avoid filling up on the chips and salsa. You know how you do while you're waiting for your food to come? Or you know how I do while I'm waiting for my food to come? And the chips and salsa, I got to tell you, this is a little rabbit trail, but you need to know about these chips and salsa. It was hard to avoid filling up on them because the chips were always warm and salty the way that I like them, and their salsa is always cool and fresh. See, a lot of restaurants, they heat up the salsa. And it's, it's good, but it's not the same as cool, fresh salsa, just the way I like it. Anyway, that's how they did it. And it occurred to me, uh, because I remember this, because I had been incredibly ill. I didn't even think I was going to Jacksonville that day. I had bronchitis. It was just shy of becoming pneumonia. It was a sinus infection, double ear infections, all because of this wonderful pollination season that we have in Southeast Texas. Spring bloom, beautiful on the outside, but terrible on the sinuses. It occurred to me that I actually had an appetite again. So I was really looking forward to this little Friday routine dinner. And I waited patiently for it to arrive. I occupied my time with the temptation of the chips and the salsa. And when my dinner came, I paused for a moment. And I gave thanks for the food and for the gift of healing that allowed me to enjoy it. I promise there's a point to this story. So an elderly couple at the next table, they were just finishing their meal and the gentleman leaned my direction and he said, excuse me, are you a preacher? 
Well, I said, yes, sir, I am. How did you know? And he says, well, you look like a man of the cloth. Now, you have to bear in mind, I wasn't wearing the collar and I hadn't taken any of the tortilla chips and I hadn't broken them <laughs> ceremoniously like, like some kind of corn communion wafer. I hadn't done that. I'm pretty sure I didn't take the cup of salsa and lift it up in the air like it was a communion cup. I'm reasonably sure I didn't do that. So although it, it is really heavenly salsa, I'm telling you. But at this point, I was wondering, what did you mean by that? I'm not sure what a man of the cloth looks like when he's not wearing the cloth. But I said, you're correct. I'm a Methodist pastor. He said, I knew it. And so my interest is really piqued. My, he says, my wife was raised Methodist and we got married by a Methodist preacher and you have the same, this is what he said, air about you. Well, what about us is the same, I asked him. He was really, I was curious as what he would say. He said, it's just, away about you, I suppose. He says the, the kindness in your tone as you were talking to the, the waiter, uh, the, the way you prayed for more than a second or two over your food. There's just a peacefulness about you. Our preacher was like that too. Of course, he says that's been 39 years ago now. And all I could think to say was, you know, I'm, I'm honored that I remind you of him. See, the thing that I was... That, I felt truly honored about was that I had been given the gift of affirmation. Now, it's one thing to get the gift of affirmation from the world. If your job says you're doing a great job, we like that, right? If, if your boss says, you know, that report that you sent over to me, A plus, that was great. This was affirmation of a different sort for me. See, what that, that couple had witnessed was not me, and it certainly wasn't their former preacher, but it was Christ in him and Christ in me. What higher acclaim could any of us ever have than to be recognized as a follower of Jesus Christ? One more story, and then I promise we'll move on. I, as most of you know, I did a year of residency at Methodist Hospital downtown in the Med Center. And this one time that I was there um, overnight, which is really crazy because all the other chaplains go home and they leave one chaplain in charge of this huge hospital as far as the spiritual needs are concerned and they knew not what they were doing because they left me in charge one night so i ministered to a man who was in the intensive care unit who was really close to taking his last breath and as i, I looked around the room i saw that his shabby dirty gray backpack was on the floor over here in this corner and most likely it contained the sum total of his earthly possessions. He was unresponsive. He was intubated to keep him breathing. He had no family with him. His chart showed no next of kin. 
it listed no home address, no phone number in the address block on the chart. It simply said homeless. So for all I could tell, he was by himself in the world. And then it occurred to me that I would be his sole companion as he transitioned from this earth into eternity. And so I began to pray for him, not knowing if he was a believer or not, not knowing if he was saved or otherwise. The only thing I knew was that he had value. He had sacred worth as a child of the Most High God. And so I prayed that he would be received into God's mercy and that at some point in his lonely, broken life that he had made a choice for Jesus. And after I prayed, I thought I'll go ahead and anoint him with oil. And so I took out my small bottle of oil and I anointed his forehead and I anointed his left hand and then I lifted his right hand to an anointed and I noticed a small crucifix tattooed on the back of his hand with the words Jesus saves under it. And so I traced the green ink of the tattooed cross with the oil on my fingertip and at that moment I thanked God for the gift of knowing with certainty that this man was soon to be with Jesus in paradise. You don't often get that kind of a gift. The gift of knowing. Anything that I might have brought into that hospital room that might have made me the superior person in that room from the world's perspective, whether it was my education, the fact that I most likely had more money and possessions than he did. The fact that I have a home to go home to, none of that mattered in that moment. All of that stuff, I had to count it all as loss compared to that moment where the Christ in me bonded with the Christ in him and we became brothers in Christ, nothing is more valuable than knowing Christ. And so Paul tells us in Philippians 3, I'm not saying that I have all this together, that I have it made. But I can say I'm well on my way reaching out for Christ who has so wondrously reached out for me. And so don't get me wrong as I tell those stories. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this. But I do, like Paul, have my eye on the goal. And I hope that you do also that goal where God is beckoning you onward to Jesus. And so Paul says, I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. I hope that is the attitude with which you have approached this Lenten season, that you are purging what is not godly from your heart, from your soul, and you are off and running the race with endurance. Run that race as a church family together, supporting one another. Run that race with your family 
supporting one another. Run that race with those that you encounter so that you can include them in that goal of moving ever closer to the cross of Jesus. And the last thing I'll say is that if you're going to build a resume, let it be a resume of encounters with the living Christ. If, if you're going to have a pedigree, let it be that you are a child of the Most High God, an heir to the kingdom of God, a member of the royal priesthood, and count every other thing as loss compared to the relationship that you have with Jesus. That's the kind of pedigree that leads you to eternal life with Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Our last hymn. Jesus paid it all. Let's go ahead and stand.